Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jeremy Griffin, and I am not the pastor here. Uh, my apologies if you invited your family today so they could finally see for themselves the stories of your crazy pastor who claps and stomps and yells on stage. And you can see it for yourself. It's not going to happen today. You're stuck with me. But uh, my wife, Kendall, and I, we have been members here at the Ave for moving into three years now, which is really crazy to think about. Uh, but we are so thankful uh, for each and every moment. I'm especially grateful today uh, that I kind of get to walk us through another installment in our series, The Faces of Advent, where we've been taking a look uh, each and every Sunday at a different life of someone, one of these key Christmas story figures, learning from their profound expressions of faith and asking ourselves, what can we learn from them? We've looked at Elizabeth, we've looked at Zachariah, and today, on Christmas Eve, we get to look at Mary. And I'm excited to do that. And I'm excited because it's Christmas Eve, and you can kind of feel the anticipation in the air today, uh, especially if you have little ones, right? Within 24 hours or so, there's going to be wrapping paper all over the floor. There's going to be dads asleep on the couch. Uh, I'm married into a matching pajamas family, so you might be matching pajamas. The anticipation's in the air, and you're counting down for that moment and all of those exciting traditions that make Christmas what it is. Uh, for me, today, the 24th, is particularly exciting because our Christmas tradition, um, my mom is from Uruguay and South America, and in South America, Christmas Eve is like the day, more so than Christmas. Christmas Eve is the day where you anticipate the coming of Christmas, and much like New Year's Eve, you stay up till midnight. We get a nice dinner going, and when midnight strikes, we open up a gift, and we celebrate, and we share, and we toast. And if we were in Uruguay, where it was more readily available, we'd shoot off some fireworks as well. And I think selfishly, I just really enjoy celebrating on the 24th rather than the 25th because it encompasses this idea of anticipation. And when I think about this idea of Advent, this season that we've been sitting through together and studying, uh, that's really what it's all about, right? Anticipation. There's a reason you can feel the anticipation in the air with children especially because this is something that they have been looking forward to and it's so close. And as we've worked through Advent, we have been looking forward to the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate and what Kathleen just told us is what this holiday is all about. Um, many of you here have had the pleasure of uh, joining us on a Griffin Sunday lunch. My parents are here today, and um, we love having lunch together as a family on Sundays. One of the things that will happen if you come to my house, uh, not my house, my parents' house on a, on a Sunday for lunch or on a Christmas Eve is you're never going to leave empty-handed. My mom's going to pack you up with some leftovers. And even if you just show up with hours notice on a Christmas Eve, you might leave with a gift as well. She just has a wonderful thing of doing that. So in the spirit of my mother and Christmas Eve, um, I don't want you to leave today uh, just with the ritual of Christmas Eve service, right, of coming and listening to a sermon and uh, just walking away without anything. I don't have candy canes to give out. Sorry that the, the kids got those. But I do want you to leave today with something uh, 
that you can think about tomorrow. Uh, This is a story we've heard millions of times if we've grown up in the church, and, and I want us to really hone in on what can we walk away from Mary's example with, and how can we apply it to our own traditions and our own experiences and that anticipation as we lead into tomorrow. So I don't want to leave empty-handed. Will you bow with me as we pray and get ready to get to work this morning then? Dear Lord, we thank you so much just for the opportunity you give us to gather together as family, uh, to anticipate what tomorrow is all about. Uh, Lord, I just ask, don't lose today to tradition. Um, Help us sit in the goodness of what the Christmas story means. Uh, Speak through me in ways that only you can, that we can leave today not empty-handed, but with something to chew on, something to think about, something that brings us closer to you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Um, To be perfectly honest with you, I'm feeling a little underqualified this morning. Um, I've worked in churches, I've been around churches my whole life, and I know what we call the Super Bowl Sundays of the church calendar. These are the Christmas Eve services, the Christmas services, the Easter services, the Mother's Day service, right? Everyone invites, everyone wants to go to church with mom on Mother's Day, so these are the days when a lot of people show up. Um, and when PT asked, hey, you want to help preach through this Advent series? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to. Um, you got Christmas Eve for me? Oh, I, the first thing I said was like, you trust me with Christmas Eve? Yeah, yeah, you, you know, you, you got Christmas Eve. But that, that's not really why. Um, more so, who you want me to preach on? I want you to preach on Mary. Mary, a mother. Uh, who am I? to speak on one of the greatest examples of biblical motherhood, I think, right? Here's what I landed on. Um, While I'm not a mother, I am the product of generations on both sides of faithful mothers who have lived their lives in prayer and obedience. And at its core, that's where I believe we can learn the most from Mary is this idea of obedience. In Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 38, that's where we're mostly going to be hanging out this morning, uh, we see Mary presented with this unique opportunity that we know so well to carry the coming Messiah. Talk about pressure, right? Her response, which is what I want us to hone in on today, is... Honestly, it's the best. She's presented with this unique, incredible, eternity-changing opportunity, and her answer is, how? How will this be? And if you've been a Christian long enough, there's a really good chance you've asked yourself that question. How will this be? It's a question that I believe encapsulates faith. So often we are presented with so many opportunities to walk in faith, yet we find ourselves with these questions of, I know what you're asking me to do, but how can this be? 
So let's pick that apart. There's three things I want us to focus in on today about Mary's response. The first, Mary's response is curious. How? We need to be curious in our faith. Jesus, I believe, was curious. Number two, Mary's response is willing. We need to be willing. Jesus was the ultimate example of willingness. And finally, most importantly, Mary's response is joyful. And we need to be because of Jesus. That's what today's all about. So let's spend some time in a response. Um, but before we do, uh, I just kind of want to set the scene here. Um, I was recently shopping for a children's uh, Bible. And as I was looking through all the pages, um, I was met with a lot of smiling faces, right? You arrive at the Christmas story and you see Mary and Joseph smiling. You see the donkeys and the shepherds smiling, the wise men smiling. And the, the messaging is clear. This is a happy moment, right? Smiling means happy. And of course it is, right? The birth of a child is a beautiful thing. The birth of Jesus is a happy thing. But speaking is someone who 10 months ago experienced the miracle of childbirth for the first time. It was a wonderful thing. But when the nurse comes in a few hours before what we would expect to be a smooth pregnancy, letting us know that within a few hours they're gonna start an emergency C-section, suddenly what's the beautiful, happy moment, that's the last thing it's on my mind. I'm a smiley guy, but I was not smiling there. And as I think of um, Jesus' birth, as I think of Mary's experience, I, I fear that maybe we've made it just a little bit too VeggieTales for us, right? It's this happy story that we know so well, but when we really look at it, there is a lot of discomfort in the story, there's a lot of risk involved. There's a lot of trouble that we find ourselves in. So I don't wanna lose the authenticity of this moment and I kinda of wanna set the scene. Let's look at Mary's first response. It's real, it's raw, and as we're gonna read, she's troubled. Luke chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Greatly troubled. It says Mary was greatly troubled. On the night of February 22nd, uh, 2023, my son was born on February 23rd, I was greatly troubled as we anticipated an emergency C-section. Sure, it would soon be the greatest moment of my life, but I was greatly troubled. Greatly troubled when George, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, taught on Zachariah, who was receiving this impossibly good news that he did not expect, he was 
greatly troubled by it. He asked for a sign. Sure, this is something he'd been praying for, but now it troubled him. Greatly troubled. It says in the sixth month in Nazareth, as Mary receives this news, she is greatly what? Troubled. She's greatly troubled. Why? Goodness does not negate trouble. Um, When God calls us to something, he does not guarantee that there will be an absence of trouble. So how many of us ourselves, maybe today or in our Christian life, have found ourselves both with God, yet troubled by what we're experiencing? Um, I think of, as I was just kind of reflecting on this, um, I think of the Musser family. Um, I think of Emma, who's here with us today. Um, I think of my own parents who have been missionaries before, who were called to these great things, yet ask any of them, you can be greatly troubled with the unknowns of what it looks like to step out in faith, and you don't know where the funding's going to be coming from. You don't know how you'll be received. It's good, but you can be troubled. Mary was troubled. Yet she obeyed the words of the angel to not be afraid, and she moved forward with obedience. How? How do we move past trouble? Well, she was curious. First thing I said we were going to talk about. Mary's response was curious, starting with verse 30. Let's jump back into that text. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That word how, translated from the Greek pos, uh, its rough translation is by what means. Um, how many of us have asked that before, by what means? How many of us this week, right, Christmas shopping and say, well, I, by what means, right? It, it's a good question. Um, the, the teacher in me recognizes this as a higher order thinking question, right? It's, a, it's not a yes or no question. It invites exploration. To ask how is to look for follow-ups. So Mary's curiosity here, it's warranted. She's been presented with a situation. She understands her circumstances. So in honest curiosity, she asks How? Now, you know enough, I don't need to explain why she would be confused of this as a virgin. How will she carry child as a virgin? She asks, how will this be? But when presented with this impossibility in her life, instead of turning away, she leans in. How? How will this be? See, the beauty of a higher order thinking question is that it introduces ownership. Mary wants to know for herself 
how this will be. And it's important for her to know because not only will it carry her out of this moment, it will push her and encourage her through other moments in her life. You see, as a teacher, a Howard question is important. Uh, my sixth grade students just finished reading the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson. If I would ask them, what's the theme of Hatchet by Gary Paulson, all they could do is probably recite what I've told them. But if I follow up with how, they're developing the skills that no matter what book they read after that, they'll know how to find theme. So when Mary asks how, she's being curious, She's leaning in, and by doing that, she is strengthening her faith. And church, I want us to do just that. Let me make a quick aside. I was very intentional about calling Mary curious here with this question, because oftentimes when we ask questions concerning God's calling, sometimes we can call that doubt. Um, And here's what I want you to know. Uh, Questioning is welcome. Uh, Curiosity is welcome in the faith. Why? There's a very important distinction here. Curiosity seeks an answer. Um, Doubt assumes that there isn't one. Let me say that again. Curiosity seeks an answer. Doubt just assumes that there isn't one. So when we're curious, we seek. And I believe as believers, when we lean into these questions, God reveals himself. So Luke chapter one, verse 34, there's that question. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? She's leaning in. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. The answer to Mary's how is simple. The Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High. When those two things enter into any situation, nothing will be impossible with God. And if you don't believe me, the angel says, look at Elizabeth, she is also pregnant. How? The Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High. The same power that would carry Mary through this unique situation. So church, I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what questions or concerns you're carrying into this holiday season, but here's what I do know. Many here are weighed down by the burden of the unknown. And where are you turning for the answer? I'm gonna share a curiosity with you that I had. As I was reading this, I noticed Mary only asked how. She never asked why. Why me? That's honestly what I would have said. I think to ask why would be to turn the attention to herself and her own qualifications and her own abilities. You see where I'm going? Instead, she asked how, because to ask how is to put the attention not on her own qualifications, her own abilities, but on the character of God. And how many of us need to do that in this Advent season, turn the attention away from ourselves and turn it towards God? So we get that beautiful verse, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible 
with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary wraps up this encounter with like an acknowledgement, an eloquent, yeah, you got it. Yeah, you got it, I'll do that. She is agreeing to her role in the story. She has responded in obedience, and that's that trait we're looking at. Um, this summer, Kendall and I got to sit under the wisdom of the Terhunes as they uh, led us through the Cultivating Connections class with an awesome crew. And week by week during the summer, we learned and listened through stories and research and personal experiences concerning the dynamics of parenthood. And Levi, our son, you know, was like, just a few months at the time, but, but, but we listened intently because this will come in handy one day. And I'll never forget, um, out of all the great research, um, one thing continued to stick out to me. The phrase, because I said so, is not a great phrase to have in your parenting tool belt. And don't worry, we all felt uncomfortable when, when we heard that, isn't it, right? Because I said so. Um, it, it's not a great phrase because it demands obedience while lacking empathy a lot of times. Our children are human, we learn. They, they, they carry fears and anxieties and curiosities even at a young age. And to demand obedience without at least having a dialogue sometimes kind of deteriorates the trust. And here's the thing about trust. When you build trust and relationship, obedience is kind of a natural product. And I know it's not that easy, <laughs> but it got me thinking. Um, I teach students sixth grade at the height of their why phase. Every rule, every suggestion is met with intense why. Well, why do I have to do that? Why do I need to enter quietly? Why can't I stand up whenever I want? And at the beginning of the year, it drives me crazy, but we just have to explain, you do this, because if you all run in yelling, then everyone's already going crazy. We're stressed, our amygdala's hijacked, but we need to calm it down. We need to calm it down and then we can start. But that's really not the solution. You know what gets those questions to, to go away? And they still come, but you know what happens? Has them happen less and less? The more that they get to know Mr. Griffin, his character, I'm not here to fuss at you. I want what's best for you. I want to keep you safe. I want you to learn in the best environment available to you. The less those questions come up. Why? There's a relationship. And when there's a relationship, when a proposition is made, Oftentimes, obedience follows. Often, not always. The reason I say that is because I find it incredibly interesting that as far as we know, Mary did not push back when presented with this scenario. She was willing to follow through with what was being told of her. And that's the second thing. Mary's response was willing. And this morning, I firmly believe that there are things on your heart that you are wrestling with. 
And the question I'm going to ask is, are you willing? Are you willing to? I'll give you 10 seconds to fill in the blank. Love your neighbor as yourself. Walk the extra mile, even though you don't have to. Forgive for the 77th time. Whatever it might be, if anything popped into your mind in those 10 seconds, there's a simple truth behind it. The Christian walk requires us to walk, to obey, to follow through, to act. And while many of us like to come here on a Sunday morning and listen, how many of us are willing to take it outside of these walls? I don't know about you, but when I'm asked to do something challenging, I'm a lot more willing to give the reasons why I can't than to just go ahead and do it. And here's the thing about excuses. They're always going to be compelling. Why? Because we make them to benefit ourselves. We know ourselves very well. Let's walk through what it would look like for Mary to make excuses. So turn the pages back a few hundred or so to Leviticus. Do you know what the punishment would be for a woman caught in supposed premarital sex? Death. So Mary could have made the excuse of self-preservation. If that's not going to happen, then if Nazareth was anything like any other church family in the South, let's be real, gossip could be just as bad as death or worse. People would start to talk. Mary could have made the excuse of upholding her reputation, her family's reputation. Marriage was directly tied to financial security. If scrutiny arose of Mary being pregnant, Joseph would run. The shame of alleged adultery would leave her single, struggling to make it by as there weren't many jobs available for single women back then. Mary could have made the excuse of provision. Instead of an excuse, though, you know what she says? Let it be. Let it be to me. Why? I believe it's because she was familiar with God's character. She was familiar with God's character. In the Magnificat, which we'll look at in a few seconds, uh, we see that Mary is familiar with the story of God's people. It is filled with illusion. She is familiar with his preservation of his people. His reputation among his people and his provision for his people. Any excuse she could have made, God fulfills. So it's not because I told you. She's not doing it because of this deity who is commanding it of her. It is because I have shown you. God has shown through Abraham, through Isaac, through Moses, through Elizabeth being pregnant, that he is faithful and he would be faithful to her. So are you willing? I don't know what it is for you, but are you willing to trust that God fulfills and is greater than any excuse that you can make?
Let God's character lead you to a willing yes to say those beautiful words, let it be to me. Beautiful words, but an even more beautiful intention behind them. Um, My mother and I, we were laughing uh, while we were Christmas shopping a couple of days ago because we were remembering my abuela who passed just a few weeks ago and her infamous um, inability to hide her displeasure at gifts. We would try and she'd open it and she'd smile and she'd say, gracias. But behind the gracias, you could see it. That's going to go in a closet and we won't see it again. So the words are there, but is the intention. Um, Words without significant, they're not worth a lot, right? If you've ever been on the receiving end of a forced apology, especially if there's a third party involved making sure that apology happens, you know that words without intention mean very little. Which is why I think Mary's uh, Magnificat, this poem, this song, what we read about, uh, that Tez read for us, um, that's why I believe it's so beautiful because it demonstrates that Mary knew God's character well. If she only knew God as this punishing, cruel deity, then the intention behind let it be to me uh, might be one of fear or, or coercion. Instead, I believe it's one of joy. Verse 47, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's one of the verses of that Magnificat. Mary's response, this is the third and last thing I want us to look at. Mary's response was joyful. As we go our separate ways today into Christmas celebrations and in festivities, are we going into them joyfully? And let me say, are we going into them joyfully for the right reasons? Not just for the materialism, not just for the time with family. Are we going into them aware of why we celebrate? Or are we going into it out of obligation or ritual or because this is what we've always done or because I don't want to get into that argument with my parents if I don't do it, right? Are we going into it joyfully? Mary's response was joyful because she understood the immediate, eternal impact of the news that she was receiving. Let's not forget, as George and PT through these sermons have already shared with us over the weeks, that this is coming after 400 years of silence. So to dive deeper into this, this news that she's receiving is affirming everything that Mary would have expected of a coming Messiah. Let's take a look at some of the qualities that Mary pulls out in this song. So if you want to follow along, we're now in verse 48. We've skipped ahead a little bit. And I'm just going to emphasize a few qualities here. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of the humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things. In the rich, he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. 
in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I don't care what trouble faces me if I know that I serve a mighty, a merciful, a strong provider, protector and king, then I know it's gonna be okay. My response should be joyful. Thank God I don't have to go into that alone. So church family, is your response joyful? If not, what is keeping it from being so? Is it your doubt, your circumstances, your pain, your exhaustion? Whatever it might be, rejoice in the fact that you serve a God who is better than those things. Be encouraged by the fact that God sending his son into this world allowed him to experience those same things, yet to come out on the other side. Be encouraged that this moment, this Christmas story kicks into gear the story that we are still living in, a story of God's faithfulness and provision for his people. So challenge yourself to respond joyfully this season, not out of obligation, not out of ritual, not because it's what you've always done. Do it because you see, like Mary, the goodness in the arrival of the coming king. Do it because you know God cares. As I sat in um, Panera Bread with the brain trust of, of P.T. and George and Trey, and we were just kind of brainstorming what Advent uh, might look like uh, through these messages. PT gave one piece of advice that, that really stuck with me. Here's what Pastor Tim said. He said, every quality that we pull from these biblical figures for our church to consider, right? Every quality that we pull from Zachariah or Elizabeth or Mary that we say, hey, this is what this person did. You need to think about it. Um, every quality that we pull from these biblical figures, we need to remember those qualities are ultimately fulfilled and expressed to the highest level and perfection through Jesus. He's the ultimate example. If Mary's an example, man, Jesus is the example. So let's walk through that. Mary was curious. Jesus was Curious. My mind immediately went to Matthew 26. My father, if, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus wrestled. He was curious, but he was willing. Mary was willing and Jesus was willing. Just a few verses later, Matthew 26. My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, then your will be done. Jesus' example is the perfect example of this. Mary was joyful. Jesus was joyful. John chapter 15, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus' joy was full because he had an incredible well to draw from, and because of Jesus, that well is available to us. 
You see, Mary serves as this fulcrum point that launches Jesus into a life and a story and a history that is dominated by Jesus' goodness and perfection. And it is something that is still continuing to this day, something that we are still living in. I'll read one more verse for you, Luke chapter 1, verse 48. We're back in the Magnificat. Uh, Mary says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She was aware that what was about to happen would have a generational impact. And do you realize that we, at the Avenue Community Church, are still part of that all generation she's talking about? We're still talking about her. Why are we talking about her? Because of what it meant. The arrival of our King. So I feel the need to make it clear. We don't talk about Mary because we hold Mary to this higher standard. Mary was very real and very human and was curious and struggled and faced risks. Yet God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And I believe that we can walk away wrestling with that ourselves. So let's not forget what tomorrow's all about, right? That's the classic Christmas message. As a wrap up, I told you I'd leave you with something, right? Something you can walk away with. Not gonna leave empty handed. So here's what I want you to walk away with. Tomorrow, be curious. Ask yourself, ask your family, what are we celebrating? Why are we celebrating it? In what ways? Are we celebrating it? Tomorrow, be willing. Be willing to engage, to listen, to reflect, to take some time for yourself, to really set yourself in the mindset of what the holiday is all about. It can be so easy just to detach and get caught up in the ritual of it all, but be willing. Do the work. Engage. But tomorrow, be joyful. It can be a stressful time for many. It can be a heartbreaking time for a lot of us. Be joyful, not because of the circumstances surrounding the holiday season, but because of what it means and who it celebrates. Our joy does not come from the season from the ritual, from the holiday. Our joy comes from the one with whom it's all about. My last challenge to you, don't forget what it's all about. I'll hold myself to do those three same things. Come and find me next week and ask me how we both did on it, all right? Let's pray.